Hello, you found yourself back here at the Scarred Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. It's about two in the morning, and from the night shift, my my hardest moments of trying to stay awake are three to four. Those hours are, you know, they're just the worst. Uh, it doesn't matter whether I've had a bunch of sleep or no sleep. Three to four is just my body knows it's supposed to be to sleep. And of course, when you are working, doesn't matter where, you're not supposed to sleep. So the best thing that I could do in order to kind of appease my body and appease my work and keep people safe that I'm taking care of is to just go to a spot, you know, somewhere just outside the, the, the lights of the nurse's station and just sit in a chair and kind of power down, you know, just kind of get into a hibernation, not sleep, awake, listening for people, listening for call lights, that kind of thing. And just for 15 minutes or 20 minutes or so, that's, that was usually kind of my plan. And so one night I was, um, it was probably about four in the morning and, uh, I was in this chair kind of in off to the side of the nurse's station doing my, my kind of power down thing, just allowing myself to, 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 you know, to recharge the batteries a little bit. And one of the, uh, other technicians walked by and I kind of made a mental note in my head that, uh, he's going to the bathroom, so I'm going to just keep my ear out for his his patient's call lights in case you know one of them needs anything I'll go answer it and uh, immediately he's coming back I mean it's not even two seconds he walked in the door and then and then he's coming back to the to the nurse's station and I you know I just kind of thought oh he forgot his reading material or something well then an interesting next event he walks back to the uh, bathroom with the charge nurse and the, per- the nurse that's in charge of the shift. And this charge nurse is uh, huge. He's an ex-cop, roughly the size of a double-wide refrigerator. And this guy is a monster. And so the, the, the two of them go walking back to the bathroom. And within seconds, all hell breaks loose. The charge nurse starts yelling, We need an adult Ambu bag down here. Stat. I don't even know if they use the word stat. But immediately, you know, we need it now. And... In an, an ambu bag is basically a breathing a way. It's a mask that you can put over someone's face and you can kind of force air in um, oxygen. And, and I remember thinking, because the bathrooms were down um, kind of away from the rest of the patients, but it, there was a room down there. And I thought, oh, somebody's crashing down in room one. But I thought, I thought that room was empty, you know. But anyway, I jumped up. Somebody was already on their way with uh, an ambu bag. And as I turned the corner to see the bathroom door, here comes the other technician and the charge nurse carrying one of our nurses out of the bathroom. And you know how you expect to see something and then you see something completely different? All of a sudden, that, that, what, what that can be... Sometimes people pass out from that called psychogenic shock. What you what what reality is presenting up to you and what your expectations were if they're so too vastly different you can have psychogenic shock or pass out and I didn't feel my knees go weak but I did feel my sense of reality get completely tipped on its side 
and and they're carrying this nurse uh the charge nurse the the big charge nurse has him by the arms and the other technician has him by the knees and this nurse's body is in a taco shape and as they're bringing him out some air escapes his lungs now there's on the shift or at least the people that are right in this immediate thing it's all guys me the other technician the charge nurse is a guy and the nurse that is being carried out of the bathroom is also a nurse um and so he the 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 patient that's the nurse that they're carrying out this is like i said some air escapes as long as i think oh he's okay but and i think what, what why is he what's going on so they put him down um and then the church nurse says to me call code and which which equates to this guy our friend that i just gotten done talking to an hour earlier is uh is is not awake not breathing no pulse and that's why we you know that's the situation where you call a code and so I go call a code. He's and as I'm running back, he's saying, "Hang in, go get the the chief resident because, you know, pay, doctors don't, you know, they spend a lot of time at the hospital, and you know, especially this is a train, this is a teaching hospital, it's a university hospital, so, you, you know, nobody ever, except for doctors and some of their best friends, know how much time they actually spend in a hospital and versus how much they get paid. It's pennies on the dollar for as much time as they they spend in the hospital while they're being trained right and so it's just you know the amount of money that they make later in life um it's 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 payback i think for all the time that they spend in the hospitals during their training but anyway the reason i say that is they don't often sleep at the hospital they may spend a lot of time there but they don't often sleep there but this night you know luckily we had a doctor that was sleeping at the hospital or sleeping in the, the doc's sleeping room there at the burn center. So I went running back to, after calling, you know, calling the operator and saying, hey, there's a code on the burn unit, and then running down to the doc's sleeping lounge, I realized, just kind of parenthetically, I, I and this is like towards the end of the time that I was going to work there. So there's probably like two weeks before I'm going to be leaving and graduating and, and going and doing an internship in, in uh, computers and the high tech somewhere. Uh, I realized this is the first time I'll have seen the inside of the docs lounge, which is weird why these thoughts that come up kind of in the middle of an intense emergency. But, you know, I crashed in the door and said, uh, hey, you know, so-and-so is 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 uh, unresponsive and uh, no heartbeat, no no breaths, you know, in front of the, the, the bathroom door. And this doc is not the first time he's ever been awoke, you know, been um, awakened out of his sleep for an emergency. I mean, before I can even turn around, he's got his shoes on and we're heading out. We run back over to the bathroom door or the bathroom, you know, in front of the bathroom on the floor, there's this, uh, this nurse, our patient, and, um, other people are now coming through the burn unit doors with the crash cart and other doctors, um, ready to start working on, on our friend. And they, a nurse, uh, is starting, you know, she takes scissors, cuts away his, uh, his bottom scrubs because they're going to start a big bore IV, like a, a large opened opening IV so that they can push fluids very quickly in his femoral uh, vein. There, um, the, the technician, like I said, that was the first to kind of find him in the bathroom, he's doing chest compressions. And uh, the big charge nurse is, uh, he's now given control over to the, to the chief resident and they're now um, drawing blood trying to figure out what the heck is going on why this guy 
you know, people, people die all the time, but for an otherwise healthy person just to drop dead, that's very rare. It's not common for otherwise healthy beings to just shut off. Okay. It's not, it's not impossible, you know, but it's not common. And so we're all trying to figure out what happens. And so the doctors pull, you know, draw blood and do a visual uh, inspection of the body or of the patient to see, to give them clues. What, what could be going on? Is his head trauma? Did he fall? Did he, is there anything on his body that could be, you know, used that could be um, connected to what caused this thing to happen? Um, you know, I mean, and you, the doctors and are battling a clock. There's a finite amount of sand in our friend's hourglass at this moment. And we don't, usually between the time a brain stops receiving oxygen until irreversible brain damage is somewhere in the vicinity of four minutes. And so you have a four minute, you know, hourglass that you're working against. Um, and that's if you know how long he's been in there. We didn't know. I didn't remember seeing him go in there. I don't remember, you know, seeing him when I sat down. I did remember talking to him like an hour before that. We sat out and he he was a smoker. And we sat out and, you know, shot the bowl for a while while he had a smoke break. And and we just talked and laughed about some stuff. And then, you know, I think he said he was going to go to the bathroom. And then I was going to go check my patients and then, you know, do my thing. And, And maybe that's how long he'd been in there. We didn't know. And so... So from the time he's discovered and, you know, and getting, and then we started doing CPR, we don't know how long he had been on the floor, ace, you know, not breathing and whatever. So we, the only way that we can tell where he is in his uh, death process is to pull blood to do the visual inspection. And so they did pull blood. They, we started a, an IV, opened it wide open so that at least there's no reason for him not to be able to have his heart go at least at least for volume blood volume and uh that also helps for pushing um kind of stimulating drugs uh, life-saving drugs into his system quickly but then the the blood that was drawn came back pretty quick from the lab and they handed the report to one of the other you know one of the other doctors and and he said well his his cells are lysing and I, you know, I don't, I don't know what that meant, but it didn't sound good at all. And, and as it turns out when cells lice, that's kind of it that they, they start to break apart and self-destruct. And it's kind of the last stage of the disease process, um, in a, in a fatal disease kind of process. And so, um, basically he was already dead and, uh, the reason that, uh, well, the reason that that his cells were lysing is because he, you know, apparently he had been, he was dead before we even got to him. So, you know, the, the chief resident looked up at everybody and, you know, said, anybody got any ideas? And I thought that was, that struck me at the time as being, as being pretty thorough. And, uh, and I'll come back to that later, but he says, has anybody got any ideas? And there was just silence, um, except for the guy that's doing chest compressions and the breathing, the breathing apparatus. And, uh, he said, okay, stop compressions. 
And then for the record, he's like, what time is it? And I think somebody said 5.06, and that was it for my friend. And uh, the guy that was doing, the technician that was doing chest compression stood up, and we all just looked at each other with the same voluble look, which was just absolute disbelief. And uh, so, yeah, here's the scene. We're in the hallway in front of the bathroom. There's like two dozen people standing around this guy, this nurse, who's our friend that we've been working with for years, who's dead. And we're not exactly sure why, except that his body was dead in the bathroom when we found, when he was found. And now we have to call the morgue and they have to come and get our friend. And it just was a mind rebooting kind of just, you know, an event that, you know, it's been several, it's been a few decades since that. And I still, you know, the, 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 uh, emotion of that event still catches me. And, uh, you know, it's now about, you know, the time is about six or six thirty in the morning and the other staff are coming on and the words getting spread around and it's just, people are crying and just in shock and in disbelief as to what's happening. Um, but I, you know, the, the hospital was very good with those of us that were there that morning um, and experienced this. They had a, uh, they had a, a psychologist come up, and what we did was, or what they did was, put a chair in the middle of this room. We all sat in the room, and we put our chairs in a circle around this empty chair in the middle. And they said anybody that would like to say something to this person, um, you know, feel free to say it now. And I thought that that was so healthy and so kind of healing in a way to be able to say that thing as closure because you didn't get to say it because it's happened so fast. And, uh, you know, I can't remember what I said, but we all got to say something. And it was um, it was sometime later that and I'm I'm not sure I've heard I've heard um, I've heard accounts both ways what his cause of death was. Um, but just out of respect, I know I haven't said his name, um, or anything, but I, I just remember that it was, uh, it had something to do with, uh, a very significant, um, uh, cause of, uh, the stopping of his heart. And, uh, and so it, his heart stopped, um, abruptly and oxygen stopped getting to his brain and that was his cause of death. And, uh, that was a significant point. That was a, a very significant thing in my life. I remember walking back to my car that morning um, after that whole thing happened, that whole thing went down, and my mind was awash with just high definition of just thinking, how in the heck, what, did, what just happened? You know, how did all this happen? And it did a lot of throwback to my dad when my dad passed away um, when I was 16 and just the kind of... Uh, tragic uh abrupt loss of someone that you knew someone that you cared about someone that was you know kind of always a mainstay kind of always person now they're gone and it was it was a continuation of the the thoughts that i had the night my dad passed away i walked out of that that room having a new concept of how the world worked because up until that point, I kind of thought there's an order. There's a, a way the world works. It's pretty much in, some things in charge and things work the way they're supposed to. And when I walked out of that night with my dad, 
I didn't think that anymore. Or at least I didn't think that it worked the way that I thought it did. You know, I, I had had to grow up pretty quick to understand that things, terrible things are going to happen and can happen regardless of what you, what I think ought to happen. And that was a, a ton of tragedy and reality that hit me the night of my dad that was being weighed again and dished out, you know, spoon by spoon throughout my life. And then again, that night as my, when our nurse friend had died, it was basically a reaffirmation that this is how it works. This is how the world works. You can prepare, you can offer up whatever propitiations you think you should to the controller of how things work, but what's going to happen is going to happen. And it's, there's not a whole lot that you can do to change it, except for what you can do, right? You can be more safe. You can not smoke, you know, you can take better care of your body, but if a toilet is going to fall out of the sky from a 747 and hit you in the head and kill you, there's not a whole lot you can plan. As I walked back from the hospital to my car in those five minutes of walking, my reality became pretty much solidified. And then I would spend the next couple of decades fighting against that uh, solidification of my thoughts until I would eventually realize that uh, fighting against that was futile. The old resistance is futile. Yeah. I finally had that realization that uh, I needed to get in accordance with what my core system, my core beliefs were. And when I did, the kind of the dissonance that accompanied me in the inner dialogue of my head went away. That kind of sweet harmony was replaced the dissonance. And I became a complete at ease with that inner dialogue in my head. But it was replaced with an outer dissonance with the people that I loved, right? Because they expected me to be a certain way. And now I wasn't that certain way. And that was, I think, created fear in their minds as to what's happening to him, what's going to happen to him. How is he, you know, going to be part of who we are in our next, you know, our next life and all those, you know, all those kinds of questions that really don't have an answer um, now. They won't be answered until later. And uh, who knows if that is ever going to happen or that that question will actually ever be answered. But uh, had I to do, had I have this opportunity to do over again this life, these, you know, decisions based on the events of my life, would I make different decisions? Hard to say because these are the these are the decisions that I made based on the best information that I had available to me. And I just tried to be honest about how I felt and about what I thought was right. Inside, I, I guess what the decision that I made was, I'd rather be happier and, and congruent and consistent and harmonious on the inside of me, because that's all I can control, versus on the outside with other people. And... Uh, that was a decision that I'll make every time now because I can be at peace with myself and I'm much happier and much more at ease and comfortable in my own skin than I have ever before just because it's, it's, it has meaning. It makes sense. There's no guessing uh, for the most part. In dealing with other people, you still have to figure that stuff out. 
but in dealing with myself, there's no, I can't, I don't have to try to figure out why is this happening? What's going on? What do I have to do to make it change? All that's gone. I get it. I understand. Now how other people operate in my, they're in my space. That's the biggest challenge that I, I have. In my, and that will, I'm sure, continue to be a challenge for the longest, for as long as I'm here. But uh, that, uh, that night losing my friend and uh, has been a reaffirmation of how I, how the world worked during, you know, the time of my youth, during the time of my childhood, during the time of my adulthood, and up until today. It works the way it always has. It works without any interference with me trying to change the way it should work or me trying to request that it's different than the way it really is. And the freedom of my kind of releasing myself from the responsibility of how that whole thing works and just allow me to focus on me. What can I do? What matters to me? Where can I, where should I be putting my energy and my, uh, rather than being so concerned that if I just said the right thing and requested the, the right action from a being that is in charge of everything, then maybe things would have been different. That kind of thinking hurt me and that may be helpful to others. It may be helpful to you. But for me personally, that kind of thinking put me in a tailspin of of chasing something that I couldn't really pin down. And, um, you know, if you have an answer to that that's different than mine, uh, or if you have an answer that's the same as mine, I'd love to hear from you. You can drop me a line, and uh, and I'd like to hear your perspectives on it. I want you to know how much I appreciate you stopping by and taking an opportunity to share these experiences with me. Part of my journey has been learning how to produce and create music, and uh, I'm going to play one for you if you want to stick around and listen to it. Hope that you enjoy it.